0: Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast, where we showcase phenomenal individuals who have overcome serious traumas, life obstacles, and challenges to find their own path to fearless happiness. Listen as Max Naist invites guests from all around the world to share their experiences and spread strength, hope, and faith. This is the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and this is Max Naist. All right. I like to start off like this,
1: everybody, right? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this world. It's Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and I have such a wonderful guest today joining me, Sandy Phillips Kirkham. What I like to do, Sandy, is have you introduce yourself to my audience, let them know who you are, what it is you do, and then we're going to get rocking and rolling, as I like to say.
2: Okay. I am Sandy Phillips Kirkham. I am an advocate for victims of clergy sexual abuse. I was sexually abused uh, at age 16 by my youth pastor, who was 30 years old and married and with two children at the time. Um, I'm married with two kids, uh, and I have two perfect granddaughters and one fairly well-behaved dog, I would say, a little <laughs> dachshund who has a mind of her own. Um, but my life took a, a, a pretty good turn when I turned 16, when the abuse began. Um, it lasted for five years, and i spent 27 years after the abuse ended keeping that secret Uh, my husband didn't know my family didn't know and it was a burden that was very difficult to carry for 27 years and because i was 16 when the abuse started i thought that i was having an affair with a married man i was old enough you know to be in between that child age and a teenage year and he portrayed that our relationship was that way that we were married in god's eyes that this was god's will um, I was helping him in his ministry. And so all of that, in my mind, I never saw it as abuse. So for me, for 27 years, I was hiding a secret that I had had an affair with a married man who was my pastor. Um, it's important to note that this was not his first incident. Um, Shortly after arriving at our church, he was accused by a young woman in his first church of having um, inappropriate behavior with her. When my elders learned this they decided to forgive him he promised it would never happen again and they let him continue as our youth pastor without giving any information to the congregation and within six months of that accusation he was kissing me in my hallway after a youth group meeting after everyone had gone home so that's how it kind of started and i will tell you that first kiss was not only traumatic but it also sent me into a tailspin of what do I do with it I I couldn't believe that my pastor was doing something that he shouldn't be doing and I looked up to him I trusted him and so I then just assumed that this was something I was misunderstanding it was kind of a quick innocent kiss he was telling me how great I was and how much he appreciated the work I was doing in the church I was very very active in this church um it's no exaggeration to say that if the doors of the church were open I was there i sang in the choir i taught sunday school i went to church camp it was a place that i absolutely loved his abuse changed all of that for me um and so as i said the abuse went on for five years initially it it appeared to be that this was some kind of a loving relationship and that he cared about me but soon after he had sex with me which was about a year after that first kiss because there was a grooming process mm-hmm. for that first year um and, and a lot of times you know I would be with him and he, he would be fine. He wouldn't kiss me. He wouldn't hug me. He wouldn't do anything. So I was always in this kind of confusion of state of is he doing something he shouldn't be doing or is he not? And it doesn't seem wrong. So I just justified it that it was okay. But once he had sex with me, I knew that was wrong. But at that point, you know, he told me I couldn't tell anyone that no one was going to believe me. And honestly, I didn't want anyone to know that about me. I I remember thinking, how have I ended up in my pastor's bed having sex I, I couldn't even I couldn't understand it and so for me it was a matter of almost blocking it out and letting it happen and that's what I did um but shortly after the intercourse happened um he became violent he started controlling me he became very um angry at times I was always on edge around him and I didn't feel like I could tell anyone there wasn't anyone I felt like I could tell. And so I just accepted the relationship that this was what was going to happen. Um, and it was a extremely difficult, difficult time for me. And I knew um, that it would never end until he said it was over. I never felt like I had any power to get out of the relationship. At one point when I would try to get out of the relationship. He said to me well you know you're no longer a virgin you're not worthy of being loved by anyone else and no one else can love you like i can well you know that's the gaslighting that's telling me over and over that i'm not worthy of love by any be loved by anyone else and i began to believe that I, i i accepted that that this was my life and so i didn't know what else to do but just to let the abuse continue. And again, I'm looking at it as an affair. So I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to make it work in some way because I think this is God's will because he's told me that. Um, but he was eventually caught and he was called in by the elders. And I don't know what narrative he gave them. I was never called in, I was never asked any questions. I was just told where to sit in church and how to behave, because the whole goal was going to be to move him to the next church and without anyone finding out. Now a few people did begin to find out about it. Um but nonetheless he was given a going away party and moved to the next church. I was then called in by the elders and I was told that because of my behavior I was to leave the church. And
1: Wait, wait, excuse I me. Could, excuse me.
2: Yeah, I know it's a wild oh. movement isn't it?
1: It totally Totally say, Oh my God. So, you know, being a father uh, and having daughters, I don't care who you are. Like, you got, like, I, you know, and and because of stuff that has happened, right? We see it in the news and we see it in movies, that grooming process, right? They totally break you down to make it seem like it's all you, that you caused Mm -hmm. this, right? So you're 16, 17, even when it ends, right? I mean, the guy has a record. Yeah. And they give him a going away. let alone, you know, give him a going away party to go on to the next church, but to blame basically what they said, this is your fault too.
2: Absolutely. Like uh, how not just is- too. I think they blame me totally that I somehow seduced him or that, you know, oh, he had a weakness gosh. and I preyed upon that weakness. I I mean, I will tell you, being told that I wasn't fit to worship in that church anymore devastated me I loved that church it was it meant everything to me and that message to me was we can forgive him and he's not to blame you are and I I, I didn't know how I, I was just devastated and I've said to people many times that The response of that church had a greater impact on my life moving forward than the actual abuse did i mean i can remember thinking years later if my friends ever find out that i was horrible enough and bad enough to be kicked out of a church what would they think of me so that only added to the guilt and shame because i as victims do most often they blame themselves you know why didn't i stop it why didn't i say no why didn't i do this or that and so to have that blame Self blame going on to begin with, and then the church adds on to that by saying, You are to blame, and these are authoritative men in the church who I've trusted and believe that they were my guides. And spiritually, now they're telling me, No, you're not fit to be here, and you need to leave. It it was horrible, it was absolutely horrible. Um,
1: yeah, that's that's gotta absolutely be crushing and demoralizing, right? When you know, see, and that's that's where, I, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes that's why I have a hard time going to church, right? I believe in God. I believe he takes care of me. But because of these stories like yourself that, you know, you you finally go, that's enough is enough. He gets caught and then you're going to blame me. Like, tell tell the audience, like, because I want them to understand that has to be the most. I can't, you know, I'm feeling it for you. And I know that happened all these years ago, but it's just that yeah. would be like. um. I always liken it to like me abusing my child or something and then blaming it. You made me do that. Like how, yes, right. like you can't do that. Like you and I know, I mean, we're how, so how did, okay. So you're asked to leave the church, right? Because of yeah. your behavior, this mm-hmm. guy abuses you and somehow mm-hmm. they put it on you. So back, go back a little bit and, and and tell the audience, like how you started to overcome that because you just, in the beginning, you told 27 years of carrying that secret is that's got to be heavy on the heart. You know what I mean? So, how did you start to finally go, that isn't my fault? I don't care what any of these people tell me.
2: Well, you know, for 27 years, I did believe it was my fault. So, I did carry not only the secret of what was done to me because I didn't understand what was done to me, but, it, it, you know, my self esteem was very low in the sense that how I viewed myself and how I worried other people would view me if they knew this secret about me. But what happened was, um, and I talk about this in the very first chapter of my book, there was a trigger that sent me over the edge. I had triggers throughout like 27 years. There would be times when my anxiety level would hit to a point that I almost couldn't control it. But I had to because I was around people that knew me and I couldn't explain to them why I was having a trigger over a song I heard. And so I had been able to manage those triggers throughout the years. But this particular one, um, I was driving to my daughter's golf tournament It was out of town, and I passed a sign, and it was the exit sign for the city to where he had moved after our church moved him to that church. And it was the fact that I felt like I was in his presence all over again. And I just had a really a minor mental breakdown. I pulled to the side of the road and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And I didn't exactly know what that was doing to me or why I was having those feelings, but I knew it was something I was going to have to deal with and that began the journey of me telling my truth and begin that journey of healing because as long as i was holding that secret in he was always a part of my life he was always the abuse didn't end at that five-year period it continued for 27 years because every time i had a trigger every time some thought of him came in my mind Or every time I feared someone was going to find out about my secret, he was there with me. That was where he was with me. And keeping a secret from my husband was difficult. You know, I didn't want to do that either. But So, that created a division that he wasn't aware of, but I knew it was there. And so, once I was able to finally say, okay, I don't know what's happening to me right now, but I've got to do something. And I can't push this back down again. And so, what I decided was for the first time, I was going to have to find someone to tell. And I found a friend that I trusted and I I probably took me 20 minutes, 30 minutes and sobbing in front of her before I could finally get the words out. I was sexually abused by my youth pastor and that that ability to give a voice to my pain, to my trauma, to my truth was huge it was huge and it would probably be another two years before i was really able to sort and keep things in a perspective a way of what i was dealing with so the healing is a process it's not an end there's never to in my mind there's never an end to traumatic right. healing it, it's always a part of you 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 for me it was learning to let go of that trauma and figure out how do i deal with the triggers what do i need to do to to move past this because His abuse is always a part of me. It's it's what happened to me, it was done to me. But it doesn't have to define me. And so that's that was where I decided I'm going to do something that's not going to allow me to be trapped by this man any longer. Um one of the things that I did, um, and it it was a necessity for me. I don't know that it's true for all victims, but I wanted to confront him. And I had no idea where he was. Been 20 30 years since I'd seen him, but I hired a private investigator and I found him ministering in a church in Alabama and I confronted him. I took my husband, I took a counselor and I took a very good friend of mine who was at the church at the time. Now, one of the things that, that I think gave me a little more courage to confront him was the fact that he couldn't deny that it happened. You know, it wasn't as if he could look at me and say, uh, she's confused. I never did that. Because it was so public. So that gave me a little bit more courage to go forward with confronting him. However, I will tell you, it was, um, I was scared to death. And not because I was afraid of what he might say or do, in the sense of I kind of expected him to say he was sorry and that he didn't mean to hurt me, which is what he did. I was so afraid of walking into that room and being 16 all over again. And that whatever he would say or do to me, I would respond that as I did when I was 16 and that he, he was so manipulative and so charismatic that I thought he's going to work this room just like he always has. Right. And that didn't happen. I, I stood up to him. I was, I said everything I wanted to say to him. I had actually uh, made a list of about 20 things that I wanted him to read to me. So, for instance, you know, I, I, it says, you know, I was wrong when I kissed you that night. I was wrong when I hit you. I was wrong when I took your spiritual life and twisted it. I, I had about 20 things on that list that I made him read. He got to the end of it and he said, well, I don't remember all of this, but if you say it happened, then it happened. To which my husband, I thought was going to just fly across the room and choke him and said, let me tell you something, pal. I've known this woman for 30 years, and if she says it happened, it happened. And that was, you know, that that bolstered me even more because I knew he was on my side, which I knew he would be, but right. hearing him say those words to him was very empowering for me. So that's right. sort of you know what I did for my healing. Um the other thing was I educated myself on predatory behavior, on clergy abuse. I learned the terms grooming, manipulation, gaslighting, love bombing. Because once I understood all those terms, I could then look back and see that is exactly what he did to me. Exactly what he did to me.
1: Probably knew exactly when certain things were happening. Oh, that's when he was this or that's when he was
2: doing that oh absolutely yeah Yeah, i i I can clearly look back and i and i give some of those examples in the book because i want the reader to understand it's not this man that just pushed me up against the wall and said he was going to have sex with me you know he groomed me to a place where and that's what they do they 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 do get you to a point where they start to use desensitize behavior that you wouldn't accept in someone else because you trust them they've told you how wonderful you are and in most cases, as as in mine, they fill a need and a void in your life. And my parents were divorced, so I didn't see my father much during my teenage years. He was a father figure to me, and he tapped into that. And then he slowly, continually crossed boundaries enough that I would continually accept it. And again, this man was beloved by the church. They loved him. He was treated like a rock star. So in my mind, you know, whatever he's doing has to be okay. Um, Even though once the sex started, I I knew that was wrong. I I couldn't justify that any longer, and I I always felt guilty about that. But I couldn't live with it without just saying, "Okay, I can't do anything about this, so it's what it is. It's right. what it is."
1: I mean, and that ta- that takes a lot of courage because you hear about like victims, like in in your case, sexual abuse, right, and stuff where you know it's already bad enough they they're blaming themselves right so that took a lot of courage on your end right and I I love that your husband had your back and and your friend I mean that's the way to do it right right Um, oh yeah
2: absolutely I never confront your abuser alone right
1: because that could go south quickly Um, yes but you know I I've heard of that like where I've seen these shows where like uh a mother will confront the the killer of her child, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, lay into them and then go, okay, I forgive you. And that forgiveness was more for them than it was the, you know, the right. other person, right? right? Because it actually sets you free, right? So that had to yes. have set you free finally of all that guilt and that shame. That wasn't even your fault, as we know. But when I'm hearing this story, right, it's like when I got sober, right? And I'm going through my step work. It remind me of that mm-hmm. four step where i had to get rid of all those secrets because my sponsor mm-hmm. said we're as sick as our secrets you keep holding on on a drink is going to happen again eventually because absolutely you know yep. that that guilt and shame will pop up and i tell everybody i work with whether it's my clients or anybody in the the recovery if you don't get rid of those secrets you're bound to drink or do a drug again because that guilt and shame is the most powerful feeling or emotion that one can feel and it's so horrible when you're going through it yes right you feel like you have it
2: destroys your self-worth you don't feel worthy yeah so when you you're carrying this guilt and shame it's repeating in your head and in your mind you're not worthy you're not good enough look what you did you're a bad person and that just rots you from the inside out you cannot and i tell victims as you've just said you've got to tell someone don't let this stay within you and and i and that comes from someone who's kept a secret for 27 years believe me i was going to my grave with this i was never going to tell anyone right and so i'm thankful that 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 trigger forced me to to look at my past and to look at the abuse the other thing was difficult for me and this is called stockholm syndrome and you've probably heard of it but Mm victims often will have sympathy for their abusers you know i didn't want to hurt him i didn't want to tell on him and get him in trouble and even years later i had to separate my mind to remind myself this was not someone that ever cared about you and that was difficult for me to accept because deep down no one wants to believe that they were targeted and used solely for the purpose of a sexual act Right. i wanted to believe on some level that he did care about me and that took me a while to continue to remind myself no he did not care about you this was purely an act of evil that was put upon you and so um when i confronted him that was my moment to look at him in the eye and see evil and just have no sympathy for him at all Um, he didn't deserve my sympathy and at one point he does say to me which was totally inappropriate it's not for my sake but for your sake you should forgive me totally inappropriate for the for the perpetrator to say you need to forgive me i looked at him and i said i i will try to forgive you because i wasn't at a point that i could right and and let me just say what i you know forgiveness as you kind of alluded to is it's letting go of that person so that they're no longer controlling your life it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for their behavior it doesn't mean you just automatically forget about it and forgive and forget that's not a possibility right it's 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 not does not mean that i remain silent um he was he actually called me um a few months after and was upset when he found out I was continually talking about this and that I was, he called it emotionally blackmailing him, which I think is rich. Uh, I'm emotionally blackmailing him, really. Right, right. Um, I mean, he had the nerve to call me and say, Well, you said you forgave me. So why do you, why do you keep talking about it? Forgiveness does not mean you silence me. Right. It, it doesn't just, mean forgetting. A, it, it, no. And it just means I'm going to let go and I'm no longer going to allow you. To be a part of my life and sure i have moments of anger but i have to tell you most of the time it's sadness i am sad for what he took from me i am sad that there are people in this world who do such things to innocent individuals i i find it to be a sadness that overwhelms me sometimes that how could he have done this to me i was an innocent 16 year old girl i had never even kissed anybody before you know, I was attractive, I think, at the time, and so I think there was this feeling that I was this sexy little thing running around. I-, I was so naive, and so I think that was another reason when he took put me on the floor that first night and had sex with me, it was so traumatic to me that I, I tried to block it out and just pretend that it wasn't happening, um, which a lot of victims do. That's not unusual. Right
1: and see here's the thing i mean any of that i don't care where it comes from is wrong right it's i have two daughters of my own right and i have grandchildren and now the grand babies the girls outnumber the guys right and i and i have these moments like when i have this talk like i'll have, probably after when i'm you know wrapping it up i i looked at my grandkids, when you see this stuff in the news, right, whether it's my grandsons mm-hmm. or granddaughters or even my right. adult children, right, and I look at them and I'm like, like you know what, my old behavior would come back that quick if somebody ever hurt a child, you know, especially yes. my, right? And right. I, I've worked very hard not to be that person, right? I try to be helpful, not harmful to people. But I think, and I look at these babies, right, and I just go like, how can people do this? whether it's okay. a child or sit, you know, a teenager or, or any, or even an uh, adult or an adult, right. With this traffic. We vulnerable- hear, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like how can people do that and just do that to another human? Like they're not even there. Like they're just a, uh, you know what I mean? A piece
2: of property Something to be used. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you know, uh, women, adult women can be vulnerable and these pastors, priests, or rabbis, when you're in that, position of a religious authority and you're given this automatic trust just because of who you are then to nope. turn around and take advantage of someone who is hurting who is in a vulnerable position in their life and to use that against them there, there can be no greater evil i mean that Absolutely. is they're using the church they're using the name of god to perpetrate these evils on these individuals as whether they're adults or children um I mean, I work with a lot of adult women who have, are were in counseling situations, their marriages were falling apart, and they look to this individual to help them. And I have spoken to Cincinnati Christian University, to the pastor's classes, and one of the things I tell them is, look, I don't care if a woman walks into your office and completely throws herself at you you as a professional need to see that as a cry for help and not an invitation to go to bed right it's your job to understand and see that need not to fulfill your own needs but to help that individual she's not there to have you compound her problems by having sex with her right and i think we need to recognize and i think most people do that pastors rabbis and priests are in a very powerful position they, they have a lot of influence over those that they serve and when they misuse that power they need to be removed they've Absolutely. proven they're no longer fit for worship i will tell you my my abuser is still in the ministry that's i think he's semi-retired now that's but crazy even after i had exposed him to this his current church in alabama i was told well, we believe in the power of God changing people, and because this happened twenty seven years ago, it has no validity to today. That's what I was told. Um,
1: see, that's where I have issue with it, right? Like like you said, they're put in the power just when you walk up and there's your pastor, right? you're automatically think. I'm supposed to trust this man because he's got mm-hmm. my best interest at in hand, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm not bashing churches out. My audience, please don't take it that way. I'm just saying, right? Okay. There's some really good churches out there. There's really good men that you know take care of their congregations. But when you hear story like stories like Sandy's, you just have to go. But and that sucks because then we don't trust when we go into these places.
2: Well, right. I don't know as a matter of lacking, I mean my story I hope isn't so much that we don't trust because there are some wonderful clergy people men women out there and I I know right. some of them. But it it is it, what I hope my story and other victim stories say is we need to be vigilant and be alert and not just go. assume because he's the pastor right. Or the priest or the rabbi that this would never happen and that's i think the downfall is that people don't want to accept it or believe it and when they're confronted with it they look for reasons or excuses or they want to give the sympathy to the pastor because he's someone that has baptized their children or he's someone that is set by their bedside when their mother was dying they have a personal relationship with him and so for them they don't see him as this person who could be doing something so no the this is not about pastor bashing this is not about saying that but there are many times the church has responded in the wrong way they've swept it either under the rug or again they have blamed the victim um they look for ways to say look you know everybody deserves a second chance one of the failures i think churches make many times is the misuse of scripture one of the things that you know they they will say is well we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god is if somehow that's supposed to excuse him god does we're not to judge only god is to judge well my response to that is i'm not judging whether my abuser is going to heaven or hell or whatever his spiritual life is but i am judging him on his ability to do his job and he has proven time and time again by his own words he had many incidents throughout his ministry that he's not fit for that job and yet his enablers are those in charge of him they're just as guilty for allowing this man to continue in ministry when he was confronted that first time at our when he was just hired at our church about this young girl in his first church my senior minister at the time who i adored and two elders decided that they were going to let him continue in our church as the youth minister without telling anyone about his past. And what they, in essence, were saying was, we want to give him a second chance at his job so that we might put someone else at risk. We're willing to do that. We're going to put him back into the ministry and hope it doesn't happen again. And if it does, well, then we'll deal with it. And when it did happen again, they still supported him. I think that not only speaks to the ineptness of churches, but it also speaks to the power these men have over their congregations because they not only groom a victim, they groom the entire congregation. They get their tribe around them to support them. And so when they are caught, it's a feeling of, well, he's such a good man and look at all the good things he's done. And I've never seen any behavior like that. And the sympathy, 90% of the time, will go to the offending pastor and the victim is left in the cold. We're not given support. And even if we're not blamed, there's not the attitude of, look, what he did was wrong and it should never have happened. And he's going to be removed. And what can we do to help you? That's what needs to happen. And it doesn't in most cases.
1: Right. And we've heard that over and over again, right? In the news and stuff. We've seen it. At least you and i in our lifetimes right where the the church gets sure. caught because they blew they try to sweep it under the rug now they've got so many victims they're caught red-handed by trying to yeah. move a person from church to church to a different state like there has to be you know and that's why i applaud you sandy for your courage to just say look things have to go different right because like right. an offender especially like that right they used I, I I believe the statistics I'll research it but I know most of them re-offend they don't really oh. get better right whether this is it's not
2: a one-time thing yeah no.
1: right whether no. it's a pedophile or a, a rapist or or a clergyman you know you know abusing his congregation
2: right because they personality know personality defect
1: absolutely because they know and they're like you said they're grooming they're not just grooming you they're grooming the whole congregation. So when mm-hmm. I get caught, they're going to go, oh, poor so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Oh, it can't be him, right? Um, yeah. and, and I'm glad you're here because, you know, th- you know, uh, we just have to make people, like you said, become more aware. Pay attention and, to what's uh, going on around you. And like I said, I'm not bashing right. churches or anything because there's really no. good people out there. But just pay attention, right, to your children right. and stuff going on in your church. If you see something because, funny, right? Right.
2: Yeah. And one of the things that we, we talk about when people say, well, how do you approach someone? How do you? So if, if you see some behavior that, that might even be innocent behavior, you're doing that person a favor by saying, this can be misunderstood. You know, you really shouldn't be hugging that child that much. Right. And, and, and if it's a person that isn't, is totally innocent, it's going to be grateful and thankful. Yes. If it's going to be a predator, He's probably going to respond, at least as my predator did in an angry way, like, how dare you accuse me of something like that? That's what he said to someone when they there was someone in the church that was suspicious and said something to him. And his response was, well, I I would never do anything like that. And how dare you accuse me of something like that? And and his, his answer back to her was, if you feel that way about me, you might want to find another church, which she did. So. You watch for that response. Yeah. And if you're going to, and even if you think it's a, a true predator, you're putting them on alert, you know, okay, I'm watching you. You may not agree that I think you shouldn't have been hugging that child, but right. now they know someone is watching them. So it's exactly. very important to at least acknowledge that there might be a misunderstanding through the behavior and that they need to stop. Um, and I, the key I say to people is, if you see behavior in a spiritual leader, whether it's a choir director, Sunday school teacher, whoever,
1: right. right,
2: is that behavior that you would accept in a stranger or someone your neighbor down the street? If it's not behavior you find appropriate in a stranger, it really is an appropriate behavior for someone just because they're in a church and because they're the pastor.
1: Right. Um, exactly.
2: That's a good, a good bellwether to figure out do is this appropriate behavior or not um and again someone who's innocent with this behavior is going to be grateful that was called to their attention and i think we are doing a better job i think churches now know that you know you shouldn't counsel alone that you should not be in alone with children Um, many churches have great policies in place but they need to implement those policies when there is an occasion to arise that says there's something here that's not good and right. we need to investigate it we need Absolutely. to
1: look at it i mean even as a yeah. substance abuse counselor right and i sometimes i i have to counsel women um mm-hmm. but if if there's like i always check their history right if there's any chance like i'll call a therapist in another female therapist and go like i for instance i had to um do an assessment on a female who had personality disorder Mm-hmm. Luckily, I did my homework, right? I wanted to see what her past treatments were like, and, right. Lo and behold, right? And then, it, and it started. So as soon as she, the first sentence came out, I was like, uh, you know, first the door was wide open, but I called the therapist and right. I go, "Look, I don't feel comfortable. I don't want anything to be misconstrued, right?" And it was funny because then we did the assessment, and that therapist went, "You did a great job by calling me in here because I could see what right. you were talking about, right?"
2: and good for you for recognizing your limitations um i think so many times clergy think because they're clergy people or that they have you know and god is you know guiding them or whatever they're that they feel like they can handle any situation because god's guiding them or whatever their reasons are and i've told you know these these student pastors you you need to know what your limitations are if you have a young girl come into your office who's self-mutilating is that something you're capable of dealing with you know, right. are you so be aware of those limitations so good for you and and recognize that cuz i don't think right. many pastors are are willing to call someone else in they feel like it's their job to to counsel and take right. care of that person
1: well the best support you can give whoever you're doing that with right is knowing your limitations right whether it's a male or female like even right. if it's a male and i feel like okay i'm having some counter-transference because he reminds me of my son who really mm-hmm. gets under my skin sometimes i'll be like right, right. we need to take a time out let's let's go take a walk or you know what i mean but i right. think i think if you're any of us right whether we're clergy or just just a good human being is knowing those limitations and knowing right. that i can't always do this by myself i may need to bring someone in and help me with this yeah. right like you did right. like perfect example everybody she brought her husband she brought a counselor she brought a friend yeah. i mean what a way yeah. to do that and right to make sure that she got to do you know sandy got to do what she needed to do at that moment and, and do it in a good way right and, and even and like when i th-
2: talk with mean when i talk with victims you know i always make it clear this is just my story and it's what i hope will help you but each journey of healing has to to be Their own and, um,
1: absolutely. And,
2: and so much depends on healing depends on, you know, your support system. What was your trauma before the sexual abuse? All kinds of things play into how our healing processes proceed. Um, but I do think and I do know there's power in our stories. There's a power in your story, in my story. We all have something to share with each other that will help another individual in their own journey. And um, and that's that's why I share my story because I I will tell you um, Max it's so many times I had thought over the years what would have changed in my life had I heard someone else's story when my own abuse was occurring you know would right. it have given me the courage to tell someone I certainly would have known that I wasn't alone which is what I felt I did I mean I just believed I'd gotten the only rotten bear, apple in the barrel that no one else was going through this and right. so for me i'm confident in telling people that you know my sharing of my story while it's helpful to me at times and it's cathartic i do it because i know that it could have an impact on another victim or someone who's out there who's never told anyone that they've been sexually abused right and i want them to know that healing and hope is possible and that you don't have to be defined by who your abuser said you were, because our abuser put us in a box and they, you know, they tell us things like, we're not pretty enough. We're not smart enough. We're not worthy enough. And we begin to accept that and believe those things. And it takes years sometimes to unravel those lies and become the person we were meant to be and not the person created by our abuser.
1: Absolutely. Right. And that takes such, such courage. Like, you know, everybody, got to read her book. It's, It's, I'm only getting started and I can't put it down. Right. And it's, but I love books like that. Right. Because I do, like you just said, believe people have stories and people like yourself, Sandy, who have the courage to share that with the world. You're absolutely correct. You're going to help somebody. They're going to be listening right now and they're going to go, She just saved my life. I know what Mm -hmm. I need to do now. Right. And Mm -hmm. as you know, because there's things people either carry it to the grave, which, takes them there quicker sometimes because we know like those secrets are just so horrible um right right and and like being a fellow author i know when i wrote my book you know coming from addiction into recovery it was so cathartic and right that's why i share my story right mm-hmm. and i tell and you know this there's power in numbers right and the more people we can help which is then creates a ripple effect, right? And other people are going to help and yes. they're going to go, where did this start? And, oh, you know well, We heard Max and Sandy on the podcast and they were sharing her story about her abuse and how she tries to help because you're now an advocate for people who have been abused by clergy, correct? So, yes, I am. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you, well, I'm going to start um, with my questions first, right? I wrote okay. a book named, I, that's what I named my podcast after. Let's start okay. with Fearless, right? Because Right. I already know you're fearless because you came and shared your story on my podcast. But what does fearless mean to you, Sandy? And what, is, how does that show up in your life today?
2: I, for me, it was facing the unknown and disregarding the consequences. Um, it was saying to my, that 16-year-old girl, you deserve to have the life that you were meant to have. And that meant s- telling a secret that I thought i needed to protect and that was being fearless because i didn't know you know i I didn't know where this was going to lead because like i said for 27 years i was so convinced that i needed to keep it a secret that the thought of revealing it was terrifying to me so you know it's facing the unknown and trusting that the outcome will be better than what you're living
1: absolutely i love that next question i love to ask my guests right happiness right because it seems if you have found your happiness now and have for a while but i put a y in there so knowing i put a y in happiness right because i get like Uh you spelled that wrong max i go yes i did i did it for a reason (laughs) on purpose (laughs) yes absolutely what does happiness mean to you and how does that show up in your life today
2: happiness shows in my life because i'm now authentic You know for 27 years i felt like an imposter i felt like if people knew who i really was and what i'd really done they wouldn't care for me like they do they wouldn't like me they would judge me they would criticize me and so my happiness really began the moment i told my truth and told my story and let go of the guilt and the shame happiness i mean i had a wonderful marriage i had two great kids we had i mean on the outside i looked like my life was perfect But there was a piece of that joy that was missing because of the secret. And so once I let go of that, my happiness became complete. I I I am still astounded at how free I feel compared to what I felt for 27 years. Letting go of that has just changed my life. You know, when I first started writing the book, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to be revealing a lot of intimate details here that are very ugly. Um... I, I didn't hold anything back in as far as what was done to me. And so to me, I, I remember thinking, I can write the truth. I can write whatever I want because it's the truth and I'm not at, at, at I'm not at fault here. This is not right. what was done to me was not my fault. And so that just made the circle of happiness complete for me, being able to tell my truth. And I love time with my grandchildren. I oh, I awesome. just love life because I can be who I am
1: absolutely see do you hear that audience just be you and be the best you possible right i mean i i so when you shared that right you gave me goosebumps because it just it, it reminds me like we all have this story right and like you said when i released those secrets right like in my work with my sponsor doing that four-step I always tell my guys that I sponsor or the clients I work with. I go, here's what you're, because they're all, oh, I got to do the four step. I got to tell everybody my secret. I go, no, you don't have to tell everybody. It's that one person, right? I mm-hmm. always say it's my, my sponsor and God. And then I leave it at that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the I think about
2: I, telling, telling your story. And I don't know if this was true with you, but because, you know, I was so afraid of of sharing what I had think I had done. I told my story in bits and pieces at first I let a little bit out and then I, I watched the reaction of my friends and then I would say okay well there's something else that I need to tell you about what happened to me and it, so it, it was kind of a drip 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 process for me because uh, I can relate I had to that. that that insecurity of of how people would respond and so when I found out okay they still weren't blaming me once I told them this or they didn't say really you agreed to do that with him i had none of that and so i it was easier each time i told parts of my story till i was finally able to the point where i truly understood and believed that my story was was something that was done to me and nothing that i had caused or that i could have changed and i had nothing to be ashamed of and i could do that by telling my truth That's all right it. okay
1: okay we're going again so um it's funny you said it. so what i was getting at, like that's i know when you release that stuff like for me i i likened it to i had a silverback gorilla right on my back putting me in a toe cold for all those years right because here's what happened like when i did it in bits and pieces and didn't get really honest with my sponsor i relapsed four times because i realized mm-hmm. right the first time i did a four-step it was like three quarters of a page and he he's even yeah. gave me that look like really you just got out of jail you've been running the streets and like yes. you're telling me that's it but he didn't say anything. Right. So I'm like, okay. And then when I finally got honest and really did it the best I could and told him everything that I could remember. And and if if it was like that, that gorilla left my back, patted me on the butt and said, you're going to be okay and took off. And I was like, right. And that's similar to what you went through, right. With, with confronting that gentleman and telling your, you know, your, your friends and your husband and it's just an amazing journey when people realize like we don't have to be ashamed of the things that we've gone through right no, and what have no. happened to us and stuff like that so um thank you for sharing that um before we end though i always like to ask right like if someone wants where can they get your book on amazon correct
2: correct Let them know it's, also, where you, my, it's also on my website um but the, and the website has a lot of good information for anyone who's just interested to want to kind of explore a little bit. Um, it's simply my name, which is Sandy S A N D Y Phillips P H I L L I P S Kirkham K I R K H A M dot com. And that website, they can also get the book there. But I I think it's a great place for someone to go to just kind of tip their toe into it a little bit to see what's my website has to say and we're maybe giving some information that they might need and then i also have an author facebook page um, which is just my name again but the um i would encourage everyone if they can to borrow the book read the book whatever because i do think um it's a book that can not only help victims but hopefully someone else who isn't quite sure how this clergy sexual abuse works and has those questions of why didn't they say no. It's also a a book of, of, uh, I think, educational material as well. And I tell people it's not just a book about abuse. It is a book about healing and hope. And so I hope people will find the book to be helpful for them.
1: That's awesome. So if they wanted to work it, with you or or reach out to you and, and get to know you better, they could reach you at your website or your, yes, their Facebook yes. page.
2: Yes. Um my website will have my email on there that they can contact me if they wish to. And I'm happy to, you know, to listen to anyone or you know, I'm not a paid professional counselor, but I do think sharing our stories and, and giving our insights are are powerful.
1: Awesome. I appreciate you being here, Sandy, so much. Thank you so much. But you're not quite off the hook just yet. I always okay. love to ask one last question of my my guest. So, right, I'm sure a lot of people were really affected by you sharing your story, right? But I want you to tell them one piece of advice. What What could you, what piece of advice, excuse me, I'm like still like wrapping my head around this, right? Like I just get so passionate about like, People should be good to each other, right? Not, mm-hmm. I know. so knowing that, right, right. What piece of advice would you give my audience to help them grow as a human being and become a better human being? What's that one piece of advice?
2: Be true to yourself. I, I would say, don't carry any guilt and shame that doesn't belong to you. Look at your life and say, what was done to me was not my fault. And any guilt and shame lies squarely on my abuser lie squarely on the abuser don't carry that guilt and shame and the other piece would be to educate yourself you know once you learn those terms of grooming and gaslighting the the light bulb's going to go on as to what was really done for you and there is hope and there is healing i promise there's hope and healing
1: awesome you heard that everybody educate yourself don't be afraid and don't carry i love that don't carry guilt and shame that's not yours to carry it. not that. yours
2: to carry it's I love his it. burden
1: that's right thank you so much for being thank here thank you everybody you heard sandy she killed it i love it um so if sandy made you think she made you laugh she made you cry whatever she made you go hmm like i like to say please leave a five-star review over on itunes so people can find it and we can reach more people but until next time everybody Let's thank Sandy for being here. Thank you, Sandy. And we'll see you next time.
2: Thank you.
0: Are you tired of being weighed down by life's traumas and struggles? Join the fearless happiness lifestyle and let us guide you toward a brighter future. Explore past podcast episodes and get a copy of the fearless happiness book to ignite your inner strength. If you or someone you love is battling addiction or facing challenges related to unresolved trauma, know that we are here for you. Visit maxnates.org. M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T dot O-R-G and take the first steps toward finding your fearless happiness. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fearless Happiness.